0: Narrative, not actually too much beyond where we were last week, as we had spent the previous two weeks in the book of Judges. And now, as we come to Ruth, as you might know, we come to a book that also took place in the time of the Judges, but we want to think particularly about God's kindness and providence towards this singular family in this book. And we'll take all of chapter 4 in mind in our study tonight, but let me just read for us to get going, verse 13 through 22 of chapter 4, and I'll pray and then we'll begin together. So listen once again as God does speak to you through His Word. So Boaz took Ruth... Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, and Hezron fathered Ram, and Ram fathered Amminadab, and Amminadab fathered Nashon, and Nashon fathered Salmon, and Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's pray once again together. Father, we are grateful that you speak to us through your word of truth, and we thank you that it is living and active, and we pray that it would pierce our hearts yet again this evening. As we come to it, wanting to drink of its life, knowing that your word is life unto us as it presents Jesus Christ to our hearts. And so help us to see him, we pray, in his beloved name. Amen. You may be seated. Some of you know that I grew up in a family with six children, and I have five sisters. So kids, if you can do the math, that means I was the only son in the household and therefore, as a result of having so many women in the household, there were a number of stereotypes that you might associate with such a household that became true of the Stone family. Uh, One of those is that when it came to things like films or books, uh, there was a particular genre of films or books that seemed to dominate the Stone household and one of those was romance. Uh, The sisters were always reading, watching these stories of, of romance and some of you may know that they follow these stories, don't they? This predictable pattern, boy meets girl and girl meets boy and they fall in love and they want to be together and then some sort of crisis ensues and eventually they overcome the crisis and everything ends happily ever after. And if you know the story of Ruth, it's not too far to say that we have before us in the four chapters of Ruth a covenantal romance story that follows something of that pattern. Uh, Certainly by the time we pick up the story in Ruth chapter 4, we've gotten to a scene of of crisis. And as we're going to see by the end of our time tonight, that it's, it's crisis that's meant to bring about even the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So, just to get you situated to the book of Ruth, if you glance back to chapter 1, we're told the setting of this book was in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So, as we've thought about in previous weeks with Gideon and Samson, this was the time when there was no king in Israel, that every person did whatever was right in their own eyes, and this cycle of sin and salvation marked the people. And in the midst of that period of time, this story of Ruth, which in some ways, is really more the story of Naomi, actually, in many ways, is more the story of Naomi than it is Ruth. It comes to the forefront. It's a story, it's four chapters long, and like all stories, it's full of scenes. In particular, this story has five scenes that make up its four chapters. You might say chapter one is the scene at the fork in the road. Naomi is going to go back to Bethlehem Uh, Ruth is at a fork in the road as to whether or not she is going to stay in Moab or she's going to go back with Naomi. And she does, which leads to the second scene, which we might call at the barley field, where it's there that Ruth is gleaning food for she and Naomi. And it just happens to be, the text tells us, the field of of Boaz, a man whom we'll soon meet yet again, which leads to the third scene in chapter 3, which we might call at the threshing floor. Because it's there in this ancient Near Eastern custom that that Ruth, for all intents and purposes, she proposes to Boaz. Uh, She asks Boaz, a man who the text says is noticeably older than Ruth, uh, she asks Boaz to be her redeemer. And that gets us to the crisis of our text tonight with the final two scenes in this book of four chapters as we see in verses 1 through 12, a scene that we could call, At the City Gate. As this redemption process actually comes to fruition, and then verse thirteen through the end, we can call that fifth and final scene at the nursery. And in the same way that the story began by giving our attention to Naomi, then moving to Ruth, and then eventually getting to Boaz, here in chapter four the pattern reverses. It's going to give our attention to Boaz. And it's going to lead our attention to Ruth. And then it actually is going to bring our attention back to Naomi. And what we have in this simple story is a story of redemption in two scenes. So I want you to see, first of all, in verses 1 through 12, a Redeemer's willingness. There at the city gate, a Redeemer's willingness. And then when the writer brings us to the nursery room uh, with this crib in which baby Obed is going to be found. Where we see the Redeemer's kindness at the nursery. So a redeemer's willingness, well, look how it begins, verse 1 of chapter 4. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here, Now, kids, if you know chapter 3 well, uh, you know when it means Boaz had spoken of this Redeemer, what that actually alludes to. Because the previous night, Ruth had come and essentially said, Boaz, I want you to uh, be my Redeemer. And he said, that's wonderful. I would love to do that. But according to the law, there's one who is closer to redeem you than, than me. And so in the morning, let's see if we can sort this out. And the morning comes and Boaz is found there at the city gate. And and quite noticeably for the way that the book of Ruth goes, you see that this redeemer who is closer than Boaz, he doesn't get a name. If you look again at verse 1, we're simply told from Boaz's perspective as he commands this brother, turn aside friend. Sit down right here. Uh, The original phrase there for my friend, it actually rhymes in, in Hebrew. It's kind of a generic way of, hey, buddy. Why don't you sit right down? Or we might say, hey, dude, why don't you have a seat right here? And it's noticeable because up until this point in Ruth, every single character is specifically named. as even alluding to the fact that here with this friend, redeemer closer than Boaz, well, he's not necessarily going to prove to be good on his responsibilities, is he, as a redeemer of Naomi's household? So students, you need to know something about what the Old Testament law expected of these people, these individuals that we might call kinsmen uh, redeemers. Because it can often happen in the time of Israel in that ancient world, where let's say you had fallen into debt and now you lost your property or face the potential of losing your property. And as a result, uh, you would maybe sell yourself into slavery in order to keep the land. Well, a kinsman redeemer, according to Old Testament law, was to come in. He was a relative of sorts, and he was going to come in, and he would buy the property to ensure that it wouldn't fall into debt, that it wouldn't basically leave the family's hands. And there's another provision with kinsman redeemers, where you could have a situation where a man died and left his wife childless, and a kinsman redeemer was to come along and marry that woman so that the man's name would follow and perpetuate in the land of Israel. And underneath that story is with this kinsman redeemer who's approached by Boaz. He probably, it's right for us to think, has something of a potential lucrative investment in his mind for you see what Boaz says in verse three. He says this redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative, Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you you about it and say, well, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of the people. If you'll redeem it, redeem it. If you don't want to redeem it, I'll redeem it. And this man, of course, Bethlehem at the time, would have been a small enough community that he would have known about the household of Elimelech that years before because of the famine in the house of bread that was the city of Bethlehem. He had taken his family and left for the pagan people of Moab. And then he had died, his two sons had died, Malon and Chilion, they had died too. And years into the future, not that long ago according to this story, Naomi had returned with her daughter-in-law Ruth. So this man would have been thinking according to the Old Testament law, hey, I can buy this land and there's no heir of Elimelech that would receive the land. Because in the year of Jubilee, after this kinsman redeemer would have bought the land, it would, according to Old Testament law, revert to the heir of Elimelech. But because there's no heir, he might think, well, I can, for a simple price, get actually land that we can now just bring into the fold of my household. And Boaz shrewdly says, well, well, hold on a second. If you'll redeem the land, which he says he will, know that you have to redeem Something else, or actually, you have to redeem someone else. Notice verse 5. The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. And you'll see in verse 6, this unnamed redeemer closer than Boaz lets the responsibility pass from him, for he says, I can't do it. That, that, that's too much for me. And so Boaz, sets right up to the duty. As you'll notice what he says in verse 7 and following. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging in order to confirm a transaction. Sandals were exchanged. And so when the, Boaz, when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he withdrew his sandal. Boaz said the same thing. And notice what he declares in verse 9. You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Malon and also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have brought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native people. You are witnesses this day. So what's happened there in that ancient Near Eastern Confirmation of the transaction is nothing more than redemption purchased and soon to be applied. That, that Boaz was obedient to the Old Testament law. He wasn't trying to circumvent the process. He simply said the night before, well, Ruth, that's wonderful. I'd love to redeem you. But there's one nearer than I. We have to see if he wants that responsibility and will take it. And If he doesn't, then I will redeem you. And that's exactly what happens and not just... Is he obedient to the law in redemption? But of course, Boaz himself is willing to undertake the cost required for the redemption. And students, I I do hope that you can easily and quickly see this shadow of Christ there, the true kinsman redeemer to come, who obeyed the law perfectly, fulfilling all of its demands, not trying to circumvent the process in any way, but not just that. Didn't he eagerly and willingly and sacrificially pay the price required for the redemption of his beloved bride, which is the church. And you'll notice again, if you see verse 5, the book of Ruth actually makes this quite clear, so often calling her Ruth the Moabite. She was an outsider in Israel. In so many ways, she wouldn't have belonged in Israel. But now by virtue of redemption, she's now not just in Israel She's included in the family of God. And doesn't Jesus Christ do the exact same thing for outsiders and outcasts like you and me? Strangers and aliens to the covenants, to the promises, to the oracles of God's people. And now we who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ, as Ephesians 2 says, because it's the blood of Jesus Christ that is the payment of our redemption. So this is a redeemer's willingness And it leads, in verse 13 to the end, to the Redeemer's kindness. The Redeemer's kindness. I think it was last week or perhaps the week prior that we were watching some sports event with the children. And one of the boys noticed how this color commentator that was announcing the game that was on the television had a particular word that he used and it wasn't actually too often that this commentator would use it, but it was a word that he would use enough for our kids to say, wow, he says that word all, all the time. And there's a word that's used in Ruth, not all the time, but often enough for it to stand out as a clear theme. And It's a word of kindness. Let me show it to you. chapter 1, verse 8, as Naomi is speaking to her daughters-in-law, she says to them, go return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. And if you skip over to chapter 2, verse 20, as Naomi discovers that Ruth that day had gleaned in the fields of none other than the redeemer Boaz, she exclaims, verse 20, may he be blessed by Yahweh, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the the dead, it's a word that shows up again in chapter 3. It actually doesn't show up in chapter 4, but no doubt. Here's the culmination of God's kindness to Naomi and to Ruth. His kindness is steadfast. His kindness is sovereign. Notice verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, this is chapter 4, and she became his wife. He went into her, and the Lord gave her conception. And she bore a son. The Lord's kindness is steadfast, the Lord's kindness is sovereign. It was the Lord who opened the womb of Ruth that this blessed child would come forth. You know, this word kindness that's used there in the Old Testament, it's this glorious word that you'll find all over uh, God's word. It's actually so beautiful in its majesty and splendor. It's kind of hard to capture in English in its fullness. It's why if you turn to different translations, you would find it sometimes rendered as grace. It's sometimes rendered as mercy. It's sometimes rendered as steadfast love. Other translations would call it loving kindness. Uh, but certainly it's meant to point us to the reality of God's covenant care of his people. That he's going to meet that which they so desperately need. And what does the household of Elimelech need but an heir that would secure the inheritance, that would guarantee the family line continuing. So Ruth has this baby in her hands. And as Ruth now departs from the scene, look at verse 16 as Naomi really is the last one there left in this wonderful story. Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. It's always a unique joy to go and visit families that have had their first child. You know, you Perhaps go to the hospital or maybe visit them in their home after they return from the hospital. And in the midst of all of the exhaustion, the responsibilities that belong to being a parent for the first time, as you visit them as a pastor, what you invariably will find amidst the exhaustion and what often is the difficulty of having your first child. Just a a wonderful delight etched across the face. These smile lines that the Lord is now writing into your life. But it's a completely different thing you might know if you happen to walk into the house or the hospital room and there is the mother and seated on the couch nearby is the grandmother. Because it seems like there's a deeper delight, if he can say it that way, in the grandmother seeing the grandchild for the first time. These deep lines of delight and happiness that the Lord is drawing upon a soul. And you can imagine as Naomi then takes this baby Obed On her lap becomes his nurse. What would she have felt but God's covenant kindness? Rewriting and restoring the story that has been her life. A story of loss that the Lord's kindness now has brought back to a place of blessing. And blessing is what bursts forth all over this book. You'll notice verse 14, this benediction. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. You'll notice these ladies in verse 17 offer up a name for the baby, saying, a son shall be born to Naomi. They named him Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Obed means something like servant of God or or worshiper. It's actually quite noticeable that these women there in verse 17 do the naming. Because if you glance back to chapter 1, the same women had showed up earlier, and instructions were given related to naming. And you see how the Lord is again restoring all things that have been lost in Naomi's life. For at the end of chapter 1, when she returns with Ruth, they say in verse 19, These same women, it seems, is this Naomi? The one that left so long ago? The one that we didn't know if she was still living? And what does she say in verse 20? But don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, For why the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. And the meaning of the names. Don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. The Lord has struck me with difficulty. And now at the end of the book, the Lord has struck me with kindness. Call this child Obed, a worshiper, a servant of God because of covenant kindness poured out in immeasurable quantity upon my life. And I do hope you have a place even in your own theology and spirituality for a God who is full of covenant kindness. And is not it true that the Apostle Paul says, even asks in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, do you presume upon the kindness, the forbearance, And the patience of the Lord. Knowing that it's his kindness that is meant to lead you to repentance. And maybe even this night as you hear about God's kindness to someone like Ruth. God's kindness to someone like Naomi. And you recognize that he has shown you kindness too. That maybe what you need most to respond with is a heart of repentance. This is a story of redemption. A willing redeemer. And a kind Redeemer. I remember someone preaching on this passage uh, years ago, and uh, the title of the sermon, it's one of those that sticks, uh, More Than a Wedding. And he went on this kind of pastoral rant about how our culture today, when it comes to romance and love stories, is very much always telling a story that seems to culminate with with the wedding day. And he, he remarked about how this book of Ruth Uh, so much against the kind of cultural expectations of our time, just passes right over the wedding. Because this story before us is about much more than a wedding. Uh, This story before us is about God's plan to redeem outcasts and outsiders like you and me. Because I want you to see two final things as we begin to close from this story of redemption. I want you to see, first of all, the surprising nature of God's providence. The surprising nature of God's providence. If you know this story, you know that the surprising nature of God's providence is everywhere. Who would have thought that famine would come to the house of bread, which is the city of Bethlehem? Who would have thought that Elimelech would decide to take his wife Naomi and their two sons down to the pagan land of Moab? Who would have thought that Elimelech, Malon, and Chilion, they would die in the land of Moab? Who would have thought that Ruth would return with Naomi all the way back to the land of Bethlehem? Who would have thought that Ruth would glean in the fields of none other than Boaz? Who would have thought that kinsmen closer than Boaz would have said, no, I don't want to pay the cost? Who would have thought that from this family comes forth none other than the seed of David, the son the king named Jesus Christ? I imagine that many of you could trace back the steps of God's providence in your life tonight, and you would see it's altogether unexpected. It's altogether unpredictable, and isn't it altogether wonderful? the way that God is weaving a story with every single person. As you look back, who would have thought you'd be in McKinney, Texas on this day of the Lord in 2022? Who would have thought you would be sitting next to whoever you're sitting next to tonight? Who would have thought that we would be exactly where we are, doing exactly what the Lord has called us to do, Well, why? His providence. It's always surprising. So don't just see the nature of God's surprising providence. I want you to also trust the certainty of God's provision. That's what Ruth really is calling us for and towards in this story of redemption. Glance back to verse 14 of chapter 4. These women who sing and who name, who bless and declare, they say, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day, Naomi, without a Redeemer. And isn't it the truth of this story? Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you in this room tonight without a Redeemer. If we look again at the genealogy that closes, now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram, and Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nishon, and Nishon fathered Salmon, and Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. Jesse fathered David. This is the story of redemption of a story That begins with no king in Israel. As a story that ends with the king of Israel. That points us, doesn't he? To the redeemer king of all of God's people. Let's pray together. Father, we do give you great thanks for the ways in which you constantly care for us. With arms of kindness, with directions from your word, with leadings from your spirit, with directions and declarations even of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray that you would help us to know this day what it means to receive the kindness that's ours in your Son. That we would not be those that presume upon it, but we would see it as leading us to repentance. That we would be a people who are always astonished and amazed and trusting in your surprising providence. Lord, we even can rest confident this night in the comfort of knowing that our sure provision has come in the Redeemer, whose name is Jesus and whose name we pray. Amen.